So I got back home from HappyCon in Greendale, Wisconsin last night at 1.30 a.m. So I guess early this morning. Uh, and I was going to let myself sleep in kind of as much as I wanted to, but uh, my body told me to get out of bed at 7.12. Uh, and I heard my kids moving around and I hadn't seen them for three days. So said hello to the children, helped get them uh, ready for school and pushed out the door, did my morning dog walk. It was delicious, though I was definitely more fatigued than normal. And I was thinking about the last three days. So to give you the most concise roundup of how things have been going, uh, first you need to know that our podcat co-host, Chewy, is still alive and seemingly in no unmanageable pain, but he's not eating. Uh, he more or less stopped eating yesterday. He will drink a little bit of cream, but anything else, no. And so it's days. I felt like it was days one other time, and I've, I've seen these things before. So uh, apologize if any of you are actually emotionally invested in this. Um, it's hard to imagine that. I, I, I view the rest of the world as not particularly invested in cats uh, and dogs, unless you're a cat or a dog owner. And even then, sometimes I have known uh, people who claim to love cats and dogs, and then they're like, oh, I had to move into a new apartment, so I had to get rid of Fluffy because they didn't allow pets. And I was always like, hmm, <laughs> what if we treated our kids like that? You're like, you know, I really like those 55-plus uh, communities. They're a lot quieter, so I had to get rid of my kids so I could move into one of those communities. This is TRBM, a podcast for authors who are serious about earning a full-time living selling books to readers. I'm the host, Jody J. Sperling, and each episode, I'll share with you practical tips on marketing and selling your books. And I won't hold anything back. Sometimes I fail. Every time I do, you'll know it. Sometimes I succeed. And when I do, I'll give you my step-by-step -step replay so you can succeed too. Thanks for listening. There's bitterness. I don't know which stage of grief I'm in because like maybe the true grieving hasn't started, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing in my life and I was thinking about it. Even when I left for Wisconsin, uh, I, <sighs> I felt like I was about an hour outside of town and I called my wife and I said, I think I need to turn around because selling books is not as important as having these moments with uh, the ones you love. Um, so, but I didn't turn around and uh, Chewie's still here. And I don't know if I made the right choice if losing three days with him was worth the experience I had uh, at HappyCon. Um, but there you go. That's the framework for how I went into HappyCon. And if you are this far into the podcast already and you're like, what does this have to do with book marketing? Well, I mean, I guess I have mentioned that I went on a book marketing adventure. I wanted to frame that all up to say, that the mindset that you take into any event may have an outsized impact on the outcome of the event you go to. So I'm looking at three days, and I'm gonna be brutally honest with you. After the cost of materials was factored in, over three days of sales, I made a whopping and round $100. That's not a joke, I made exactly $100. <laughs> What? 
Is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm gonna tell you, it's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when the time you spend doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish boss tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step step through a unique, highly tested and targeted formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself, where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following and millions of copies sold. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books and losing 50 to 70% of your hard-earned money, that you're making through sales. Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readership. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. I spent $104 on gas. I spent $150 for a table. I spent about $80 for food. That's probably a slightly above, but I didn't look at my food receipts. I'm just thinking about like meals and stuff. So anyways, it was a magnificent loss in terms of financial outcomes. I did put my books in about 21 people's hands. I'm also not looking at the exact number of books, but I did tally the actual income that I made from the event the negative income in this case. Um, but I, I seem to recall that I sold a total of uh, 23 books and only two two-book deals. Again, framework here. I really want to help you if you get into the world where you're thinking about going to Comic-Cons, comic expos, uh, book fairs, craft fairs, anything where you can sell your books. Happy Con was in its first year. Part of the reason I thought that it would do well is that it was at a mall. Um, and I thought, okay, so it's at a mall. That means you're going to have a lot of traffic regardless of if they meant to come to HappyCon or not. So I thought a lot of people would walk past the the event and see it, maybe walk it and walk around. And so I figured that might draw a natural traffic through. Uh, the other reason, if I'm being completely transparent, thank you, Rich Hosek, for uh, reminding me how silly this reason was. But Happy Con's logo was an eight ball, and I wrote the eight ball magic of Susie Q. So I felt like there was maybe a little bit of fadedness to going. Um, we'll explain all of the reasons why making business decisions based on fateful feelings is horrible. And that's actually literally just stating the problem. Don't do it. But that is one of the reasons that I made the decision. It was one of the closest conventions that I could get to over this period of time. And I value movement. And that's the best part of the decision that I made is even when you make a wrong decision, it is better to act than not to act. With the caveat that if you're going to go financially bottoms up because of a decision you make, 
probably figure out a way to not make the financially bottoms up part of the decision. There's almost always a way to have money to leverage things that you're doing if you understand that you can eventually reverse the pain of being negative in the beginning. I feel like I stated that really poorly, but my point is it's okay to take debt if you understand that eventually what you have will surplus the debt and run past it quite quickly. So I'll borrow from Alex Hermosi again. I've been talking a lot about him because I've been listening to him a lot. He talks about advertising in such a way that he says nobody, and and I mean nobody, and this includes Steve Piper, although Alex doesn't know Steve yet that I'm aware of, but nobody runs consistently profitable ads. One in 10 ads, if you're very, 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 very good at creating ads will be profitable, but it will be profitable in such a way that it will outperform the nine duds. So remember, if you're very, 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 very good at ads, one in 10 will be so good that it will outperform the nine duds. And that is how we do things. And so that's the one good decision I made is going to this expo regardless of the turnout. And there were some wins. We met some vendors there who gave us some good information. And I'll get back to we because I'm not using it in the royal sense right now. Um, we met some vendors who gave us insider information on good shows to go to in the Milwaukee area. That's great. That's a win, especially for the other part of we, which is Rich Hosek. Yeah, I mentioned him earlier, so that was probably not really a spoiler. It was a spoiler. Whatever. I'm not going to even edit this episode, so just take it as it comes. I'm already recording it on Monday. It should have been out six or seven hours ago at this point. But yeah, you know, state of life. You're getting things done. You're plowing through it. You're making it happen. When I say I'm not going to edit it, I will do a light edit. So anyways, I might even edit out that I said I wouldn't edit it and this part of the conversation, but probably not. All right. The good, the bad, and the ugly is the event promoter did a dismal job at getting outside traffic. Over the weekend, I was asked at least a half dozen times, but probably around a dozen times, hey, uh, is this the first year for this thing? Or um, what is this? Uh, or is this here all the time? Like, you know, I mean, any number of questions like that. That's a bad sign that the event didn't have very good promotion. There's also a lingering suspicion that this was kind of an Ozark sort of business. If you get the reference, you get the reference. But I have fairly good, uh, what do we, I'm not going to say evidence because I'm not in court or anything, but I have fairly good visual and, and other sensory perception elements that tell me that that might have been the case, that that uh, it wasn't as much about the event as it was about creating a front for other activities that might go along with the event. And the third thing is, if you're going to go to free events, I will say it is very important to make sure that that event has been going on for a long time, um, more than five years successfully, that it has a large following, that people speak well of it online. And that means you can find people speaking well of it online. You shouldn't have to look hard for an event that's good to go to. Price is not the important piece. So it doesn't matter whether the people charge you $150 or $400 or $45. It matters the strength of the event. Another thing 
that you can only learn by going is layout. So if you show up to an event, and this is the case with HappyCon, and the aisles between facing tables, so like think of uh, the movie Braveheart where the English army lines up against the Scots and there's, you know, a, a half a mile between them before they start really fighting. Uh, that's not a good setup for selling stuff. And that is about the distance that we had between our tables and the people who are facing us on the other side of the aisle. Because what happens is that people will walk splitting the distance between, and it means that you really have to yell out like, hello there, please come see my books. And it's just not particularly effective. Um, yeah. So that's a big takeaway. What are the other big takeaways? Don't sell yourself short. If you go with one book, you only have one book published, I would tell you, absolutely, go to these, these conventions, go to these events, find a way to fill your table up so that it looks full, but then you know have your book out there. And one book can give you a very profitable show. I know that that's hard to believe because we're probably trained that writing more is better. And yes, it is. Stephen King wouldn't be as wealthy as he is if he just wrote Carrie, but he would be set for life. I'll say that again. Stephen King wouldn't be as wealthy as he is if he had just written Carrie, but he would be set for life. It was a, such a book that it sold massively as soon as it hit the shelves, and it was such a book that it got a movie made out of it that did fantastically in theaters. And... That made him a great deal of money, and Carrie continues to make him a great deal of money. Now, can I tell you for sure that it would have continued to have the lasting presence that it has because he is who he is? I can't. But I can tell you that he made a, a lot, a lot of money on Carrie just out of the gate. And um, if he never wrote another book, he had the raw amount of money he needed to live the rest of his life. So I feel comfortable saying that. But the fact that he wrote Cujo and Salem's Lot and uh, The Stand and on and on and on is why he has done as massively well as he has. He's had, you know, multitudes of movies and shows and all kinds of things made out of his books. And he gets massive sales on every book that hits shelves. So more is better, but one is okay. You can go to shows and be profitable with just one book. Here's an example of why that's the case. When I go to a show right now, I give you the Nine Lives of Marvin Alonghi, not give you, I, I offer you the Nine Lives of Marvin Alonghi for $13. That's cheaper than you can get it anywhere else, but because I don't have to worry about shipping and handling and I don't have to worry about advertising or any of the other avenues, all I have to recoup is the cost of printing the book. And right now I'm printing the book at a walloping, and I do say walloping, it's way too much, but it's what it is, $5.91 per copy. So if I go out there, I make $7 per sale in return. You can very quickly rack up sales. You could sell 100 copies in two days, one day, depending on the volume of the show, that's $700. You've recouped the cost of gas, the cost of food, the cost of materials, the cost of the show booth, all that kind of stuff, just by selling books 700 times. No, $700, 100 times. That's not outrageous. I made close to 100 sales at the STP, STM Peddler's Market, not Stone Temple Pilots, the STM St. Thomas More Peddler's Market uh, in four hours. So it's absolutely possible.
Things get sweeter when you have a bigger book deal, but actual profits don't scale quite the same. So I do a two book deal for $20. It's a first time reader thing. If you wanna buy The Nine Lives of Margaret Long High and The Eight Ball Magic of Susie Q, you can get those two for $20 if you buy them at the same time or during the same day. And that means that I have a 591 print cost and then a 587 print cost for The Eight Ball Magic of Susie Q. It's just a few pages shorter, even though it's more words, it has no parts. So. Anyways, that's a little bit off topic, but what you get then is that now I have $8 of profit. So I actually only made one more dollar of profit by selling the second book. But what I did do is I put two books on somebody's shelf, I got two advertising opportunities out there, and I increased the chances that the person is going to go further with my series. So I'm willing to take the loss on the second book in order to take the gain on the overall net readership because now maybe they buy my third book online and my fourth book online. I also offer a three for 30 deal. You guessed it, now I'm making $9 of profit. So you can see that a one book deal can still be very profitable for you at a show. You start to see some real gains when you get into the four, the five, the six, and beyond. When I was in Cincinnati with Lydia and David Scherer, they sold the entire collection for a hundred plus dollars. And they were making somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 a profit anytime that particular transaction happened. Actually more too, because their printing costs were far lower. If you can find ways to get lower printing costs, that's something to consider. But there you go. Those are the reasons why I think that you don't have to be a super seasoned author to have a really good outcome at a show. And this hasn't even touched the tip of the iceberg because you still can make some digital sales. You can make some audiobook sales. You can make some sales that are literally net nothing to you. And, and anytime you sell an audiobook, as soon as you have hit the cost of production, everything else is 100% gravy. It's, it's literally just money in your pocket. There is no expense to it, which is fantastic. All right. You've gotten this far in the episode. I want to talk with you about a couple of things related to the show that I think are worth considering. I was surprised that Rich Hosek was interested in coming down. He and I had texted back and forth. He lives near Milwaukee. I'm not going to give his exact address because I think that, you know, he's going to be famous someday and that would be a real mistake on my part. But he decided he wanted to join me. So first day I was there alone. Um, and the second day he and I shared a fairly small table. Multiple authors at one table has challenges. So I just want to make you aware of that. I have heard of authors, uh, Heather Johnson Kent, who's been on this podcast, I know does some sharing of tables at different events. And she has commented that she's done very well. So I am sure I am positive that it is something that can go well. Because of the low flow of traffic, Rich and I really had uh, to be cognizant of each other. Who is the customer for and which one of us is going to pitch our books because this goes back to I was talking about the mall and so sorry that I'm not 100% linear here but um, if it's a free event at a mall expect a ton of window shoppers I had not come up against that at any place I had been up to then uh, because you have to pay to get into a lot of events. And so if there is an actual admission for entrance, expect to sell a lot more. That's that's something to keep in your back pocket. 
if it costs to get there for the customer, then every customer who's there has already expressed an interest in spending money. You don't spend $20 for a weekend ticket to uh, an expo and then not buy stuff. And so they're just ready to pull their wallets out and that mindset makes a huge difference. Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick and mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard, getting your books in stores is next to impossible. That's no longer the case. For just $5, you'll receive a lifetime membership to the Self-Published Author Co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book, or you're selling thousands of copies a month, if you don't have your books in bookstores, the Self-Published Author Co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now. It was a free event, and Rich and I, we didn't have a ton of traffic coming by the table Saturday and Sunday, and so it was really difficult to know, like, who's going to pitch uh, what. And and so in this particular case, I think Rich was actually more fair-minded than he should have been, even though he's watched Squid Game and he understands that it's a dog-eat-dog world. <laughs> That's just for you, Rich. If you're listening to this episode, I will know. I will know. Anyways, um, it is is a doggy dog world and but but he was very conscientious of letting me pitch first in most situations and so i would make my pitch and if they didn't seem interest interested he would take over and pitch his books and he would talk about audiobooks and he would give them cards for his podcast uh we'll get to the podcast in a minute because i have a huge admission to make plus uh, yeah anyways we'll get there uh so it, if you go to a show with another author I would really, really strongly encourage you to have a conversation prior to the show about how you mean to interact with customers because if you're competing for sales and it can happen, then you want to be very clear on how that's going to take place. I personally felt like he was better at pitching his books than I was. I personally felt that he had a better touch at being friendly to people. I personally felt that he had an edge on me. And so I was aware of that and I was pretty dogged. That is my style and, and but if we had been on equal footing and we'd both been pitching equally, he would have, I think, outperformed me because he just had a better way with people than I do. And that's okay because you get pushed. If you go to a show with somebody who's better than you at what you're doing, you're going to get better. But if you have a sense of competition like I do, and I am very competitive and I am emotional and I'm all those things. If you've listened to this podcast for more than one episode, I think you know all of this, um, that, that I run pretty high emotion for, for uh, anyways, I run, I, run I, was about to, I was about to make a very sexist statement. So let's just strike that from the record. <laughs> uh, but anyways, it was a great event in that I learned the importance of stating clearly what you want if you're doing events with other authors. And if you feel like you're not going to be a good match and that you're going to get high emotion or competitive, c 
consider going to events alone. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can get to more places if you have more author friends who are willing to share a table with you. So my primary recommendation would be get better at handling your emotions, you little baby. I'm talking to myself here, folks. And I'm talking to you too, if you're like me. Life is about collaboration. You create great things when you collaborate. Huh? Yeah. I'm going back to the OGs with that one. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Let's go. The next thing is value your products. Make sure that you're pitching the high ticket items. This is an area where I really struggled. I had a three for 30 deal. Yes, that's only $9 a profit versus seven. So it's only two more dollars in my pocket. But if I had made every single sale, $2 more, then I would have been $2 richer on every sale. <laughs> I can't do the math fast enough to catch up with that. What's 24 times two? That would have been another 48. I would have gone from $100 even to 148. At 148, I would have almost paid for the $150 table. And maybe that would have felt a little bit better to me than just paying for the gas to the event, not quite even paying for the gas to the event. So there you have it. That's kind of the thing. Pitch your high ticket thing and be comfortable understanding that your target audience actually has the money to do that. $30 is not a lot. Most people nowadays will be willing to spend $30 on a dinner and that lasts about 45 minutes. Books, $30 of books is going to last somebody multiple months in most cases. I'm a voracious reader, so in some cases I read more than that, but your average Joe, your average Jane is going to comfortably pull $30 out of the wallet, whether it's plastic or paper, and fork it over without too much thought. So pitch your high ticket stuff. That's all, I'm, I'm talking to myself too. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me, I'm talking to us. I'm saying, let's go, let's do this. Let's get bigger, let's get better. Let's do this thing. Get out to events, go to conferences. And if it is a crap eating, terrible time in terms of sales, like like happy con was, it was not happy con, it was sad con. It was angry con. It was, oh, I suck at this con. Go anyways. The only way to get better is to get practice. You can do all the research in the world, and I'm guilty of this. You can research until you are blue in the face. Actually, I've never been blue in the face, but I think I understand the the, the uh, spirit of the comment because I believe if you're blue in the face, it means that all the blood is drained from your head. Research research till you're blue in the face means that like you're so exhausted that blood can't even get to your brain anymore. Blue in the face. I think that's it. Tell me if I'm wrong. You can research and research and research, and it will make you better to a point. But then there is a, uh, a cutoff, a strict cutoff when research no longer benefits you. And the only thing that will make you better is experience. So go to the events, get a really, really crappy pitch out of the way. <laughs> By the way, this is great. While we're talking about pitches, I have a clear pitch for my book and I'm gonna recite it to you right now. The Luke and Time Mysteries are boozy adventures with a splash of dark humor and a twist of magical mayhem. Isn't that great? They're boozy adventures with a splash of dark humor and a twist of magical mayhem. Every time the customer came up to the table, I think with the exception of two people, I could not remember my own pitch. I have practiced it in the mirror. I've practiced it with my, my podcast co-host Chewy. I have practiced it with my wife. I've practiced my pitch, folks. I have practiced the pitch. And a customer would walk up and I'd be like, my books are, um, they're, uh, they're, they're magical adventures. They're magical adventures with, a, um, they've got like a, a, a slice of pie. Do you like pie? Do you like books? 
yes, here is the book. Read about it. And I would hand them the book. It was the most ludicrous thing. I couldn't remember my own pitch. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I was feeling a little bit burdened by how crappy the event was going. But also, practice your pitch more than you think you need to. It matters. And if you can internalize the importance of having just a real clear, concise elevator pitch or, you know, a three-point pitch for your book, man, it makes a really big difference. People will say, when you get it right, here's, here's the difference. You say, these books are boozy adventures with a splash of dark humor and a twist of magical mayhem. They're like, ooh, I like all of those things. Whereas if you say, these are um, mysterious books with um, mystery and humor, people are like, oh, okay. Um, or like, are they mysteries? And you're like, yeah, uh, yep, they're mysteries. And they also have magic. Did I mention that? And, and you see, like, then people kind of feel like, A, you don't even know <laughs> your own books, but B, uh, they, they, they must not be that well written. Having a clear pitch is really, really important. So have a clear pitch and go for the jugular. Ask for the big sale. Whatever your biggest ticket sale is, go for it. And finally, moving on to a non-marketing, well, actually, I'm going to call this a marketing thing for somebody else. I have a public apology to make. I have a public apology to make because there is a podcast out there that I have only listened to maybe five or six episodes of. That's true. Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs by Rich Hosek is arguably the best fiction podcast in existence right now. I've listened to several others. One of them on uh, a drive after the con with Rich that he introduced me to called Other Stories. It's, it's good. It's okay. It doesn't even come close to the quality of bedtime stories for insomniacs. And I haven't listened to it. I have my excuses. I like self-development. I spend a lot of time listening to uh, growth mindset type of podcasts. I need that to continue to do this work because it is brutally hard on the psyche. But that's really no excuse for having not listened to his podcast as much as I should have. And so I'm making a public apology because I listened to it on my drive home yesterday. I had seven and a half hours in the car. And with the exception of a couple points where I got a little bit sleepy and put some music on to kind of jazz up my world, uh, I listened to it the whole way back. So uh, he's got his own books freely available on his podcast. Uh, I had listened to the Dead Kids Club using the readback feature. So I bought his ebook for Dead Kids Club, and I used my AI voice rereader two-finger swipe dealy to listen to it. And I liked it that way, but when you hear him read the Dead Kids Club, you realize not only is he a phenomenal writer, but he's an incredible narrator, and that book was like addictive crack cocaine candy man. Candy man! <laughs> it was so, so good. It is a really dark... It feels... Okay, I talked to him this weekend about Ozark and The Sopranos and stuff, and I knew that I had read The Dead Kids Club, but I didn't remember it super well. And then after I heard him read his own The Dead Kids Club, it changed everything. And I thought, wow, he actually wrote uh, maybe even a more compelling version of Ozark or uh, a show like that, like Breaking Bad. The stakes are so high and uh, the consequences are so radical. I can't recommend that book enough. It is amazing. And I have not given him his due credit. So I am, I'm publicly giving him his due credit and hoping that you will listen to 
bedtime stories for insomniacs. He also does a lot of highly produced kind of uh, actual fiction drama type things where there are sound effects uh, to st short stories that he writes. He's also open to other people sending him short stories. I don't know what level of submissions he accepts or how that process is, so you'll have to look it up on your own if you're a writer and you're interested in maybe having a dramatic performance of your fiction. I would highly suggest sending something to him. I wouldn't be surprised if out of the kindness of his heart, he accepts one of my stories to be a dramatic uh, representation on his show. And it will only do me good because he is going to be massively famous when eventually the podcast starts to catch on. It's just too good not to. Um, and I humbly admit that I was not as conscious of what he was doing as I should have been. So, sorry, Rich. Thank you for the hospitality. Sorry, audience, if I rambled too much. I am on a low level of sleep, and I needed to get something out to you today. And then also, not sorry, because even putting a podcast episode out into the airwaves today is part of what makes writers successful. I don't know when the break comes. I can't tell you that yet because it hasn't come for me. But one day the break comes and everything falls. The dominoes tip. The, the, the effect finally gains enough steam that it just pushes boulders out of the way. And you see a clearing. And the clearing is your moment. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. It's coming for all of us who just stay active. So keep doing stuff. If you fail, get back up. Brush off your skinned knees, metaphorically speaking, shake off the concussion, whatever it might be, and get out there and do the work, even if you fail. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?